G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. The interview today we are doing via Skype, so my apologies if this is not the best quality at times, but we're going to do our best. Nothing quite like being in the studio, but unfortunately our um, guest today is not living in Kingston right now, so this is the best way we can do it, and she's got some fascinating information to tell us. So today I would like to introduce you to Camille Georgeson Usher, who is doing a PhD in cultural studies under the supervision of Dr. Dylan Robinson. Welcome to Grad Chat, Camille. Thanks for having me. Now, firstly, I want to congratulate you on your recent success winning the Canadian Art Writing Prize. That is absolutely fantastic. And for those of you who have not heard about this award, it's an annual juried prize designed to encourage new writers on contemporary art. And uh, Camille got first place. So we're, we're very excited about that for Camille. And I'm sure you are too. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled, actually. I had no idea what to expect going into it. So it's, uh, it's a huge honor because I know a lot of people applied. <laughs> Which makes it makes it even better that so many did apply and you've done so well. Yeah, well, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting to think about the work that you do in your coursework that it's kind of just a slog, but then some great stuff comes from doing this coursework, and so this is kind of part, like part of the the coursework that I did, and I bridged it with some of the other work that I'm thinking through. So it's it was yeah. It's good to have a supportive supervisor that just feeds me full of amazing ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you got those amazing ideas too. Uh, we'll go back to the piece a little bit later because I do actually want to talk about your full research that you're doing. But first, I think it is important to tell everyone that you are from the, let me make sure I say this right, Panolakut Nation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I got it right. I did practice a fair bit. <laughs> so I think that was important because your research sort of incorporates um, your background very much so. So um, I hope you don't mind me saying that you're from that nation. Uh, well, I'm from Galliano Island and the Penelicate Nation is a part of Galliano. So Galliano is not entirely the Penelicate Nation, but that's the nation that's on Galliano. <laughs> and which is in British Columbia, correct? Yeah. Yeah, in British Columbia. Although you're not talking from British Columbia right now. No, I'm in Toronto. <laughs> I'm you you Toronto. seem to move around because one minute, because you, you did your undergrad in Montreal, didn't you? And uh, where did you, I can't remember, what was your school? Uh, yeah, so I did my undergrad and my master's at Concordia, Concordia. University in Montreal. So you've been around a little bit, seeing lots of different different areas, which actually comes into what your research is about, talking about urbanism and and um, and indigenous indigeneity there. So what I'd like to say to everyone, if can you give us a synopsis of your research? Uh, because my understanding is you're looking at urban experiences of indigenous folks learning about who they are away from where their ancestors are from. So can you give us a bit of an overview of that? Yeah, of course. So being from Galliano, uh, it's pretty kind of complex how I, I've come up with this this idea. But my, my grandfather's family is actually from Galliano, so it's Hokamiknum territory. Okay. And my grandmother is from Aklavik, who and Aklavik is 
way up north in Northwest Territories. And because she was taken away for residential schools, um, she kind of made her way down south with, you know, a bunch of different activities in the middle uh, and ended up on Galliano Island of all places. <laughs> I take it it's a small island, is it? Or Oh, yeah, it's tiny. Right. <laughs> There's like maybe 800 people that live there year round. <laughs> oh, okay. That is small. Yeah, it's pretty small. And so I, I just kind of was disassociated with my indigeneity living in BC, which is funny because it's, it's in your face everywhere. And I decided to go to Montreal because um, they had an art history and studio arts program. And I'm also an artist. So it kind of just bridged all that together quite well. Right. And when I was there, I learned that my grandmother had dementia and my grandfather had died uh, like a decade prior because I hadn't really made the effort to speak to her or learn any of her stories and realizing that her stories were going to be forgotten. It just kind of like it triggered something in me. And so I, I really made an effort to try and go back to BC often and to try and talk to her as much as I could, even though it's so expensive to fly back there. (laughs) It is. I know what you mean. And so one of the things that um, I came to learn with talking to her was Uh, One of the stories that she really likes to tell, because she knows that I lived in Montreal, was that when she was in the Air Force after residential schools, her main base was in Montreal. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So we kind of have this strange connection of both really loving Montreal, but like coming there for very different reasons. And yeah, so it was kind of just this amazing connection of coming to love something through a place and to learning more about each other through loving this place. Right. And so it really made me question this kind of act that I was doing of trying to learn about her story and in turn my own story uh, so far away from where I'm from. And I just started talking to a bunch of other people like my colleagues in Montreal and Native folks living in Montreal that are going through the exact same thing. And so it just really... Uh, inspired me to think about how we're all kind of doing this in different ways. Um, But then further to that, like how community is created in these spaces and how, you know, we're learning about kind of parts of our identity at a distance, but, you know, doing it together, even though we're all like from very different parts of Canada. Right. So that's kind of how I started. (laughs) It's a good place to start. When when you talk about spaces, what do you what do you mean by spaces? Is it spaces where, because you, you said you're an artist, where people have done some art, whether it's painting on the wall or sculptures and things like that, or is it a space where people can gather? What do you mean by space? So space kind of comes in in many different forms. So that, that's a really good question. And because I'm an artist and in the arts world, I'm putting air quotes around that arts world, <laughs> a lot of the places that I gather with people are often revolved around arts and right. the arts are generally a central conversation to why we're coming together. Right. But then like one of the things that I, I like talking about in my writing is the way that public art, although I'm not focusing specifically on public art in my research, but the way that when you're like, let's say walking through a city and you see a mural by your friend and it's like 
signifies like indigeneity or you know shows like first nations identity like just right in your face and it's really powerful like even though they're not there it feels like you're connected somehow so when i talk about being together in spaces it's not necessarily our bodies being together but it's the way that we can connect through these different different signifiers I was reading the synopsis of your your research and can you explain, because you've got four different areas there that you talk about in your little synopsis. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, the way that Dylan has kind of suggested that I structure this is mm-hmm. through four different research areas. And I was really trying to think about ways that we come together in urban spaces, like under this huge yes. <laughs> topic <laughs> so the uh the first topic is actually the the topic that i won the writing prize over and so it's about rhythm in urban centers and performativity um, and so how rhythm affects the way that we navigate through the world and how when we break those rhythms we kind of interact with the everyday navigation in a different way so that's kind of a very broad <laughs> very broad because I mean rhythm can mean a lot of different things as well yeah exactly so it's it's a very broad topic right now um but I'm hoping to narrow it down and like I think my my paper really helped me to narrow it down in terms of rhythm of what I want to talk about right but then the the second topic is about just kind of spatial mark making and kind of like what I was talking about before it's not specific to uh, street art and graffiti, but has a lot to do with how public art allows us to see ourselves. And a lot of what I talk about in this chapter is is very like <laughs> deep theory, like politics of recognition and how we come to seeing ourselves in these urban spaces and how we come to feel at home through these kind of mark makings. So yeah, that's where it's kind of a little bit more straightforward in that it's you know, visible mark makings that are tangible and that we can see. And then the the third research topic is probably the most complex. And I'm still trying to figure out what it is because the the overall term is abstractions. <laughs> so it's very yes, abstract. So abstract that's, yes, that makes things difficult, doesn't it? <laughs> and so I, I was at this talk in Toronto and it, it was like a talk about Um, map making and navigation and stuff like that Um, and there's a professor at the U of T and her name's Karen Ricolette she basically just said something along the lines of the way in which we come to understanding our ancestors is through this series of abstractions because you know we you know we respect our ancestors but we can't you know put words in their mouth and we can't put stories right in front of us so we have to kind of understand the stories that we've been given through a series of abstractions right and I think that can be true with most people and you know grandparents that have passed and uh, all those kinds of things the way that we understand you know our, our ancestry is through the series of abstractions and so within this section I'm also bringing in love and care and those types of things but then it also gets a little bit more complicated when we learn about about ourselves through these abstractions with people like 60s scoop survivors or residential school survivors that end up in these urban centers um, that are visibly native but are unsure of you know their who they are or where their family comes from so right. it's that's the kind of section that I'm I'm really working on right now. <laughs> it's the tough one. Go for the tough one first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 
trying to start with that one because it's just like the biggest, most complex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I'm really just trying to, every person that I talk to, I'm like, so what do you think about this? <laughs> and I'm right. trying to bounce ideas off of them. But then the, the last section is, is quite simple and it's just basically about architecture and structure. Um, the structures around us that are also kind of signifiers in the same way that, you know, public mark making is. But, right. you know, just the, the city as a structure is kind of the last section that I, I try and talk about. So let's go back to the section on rhythm. How would you describe rhythm as part of urban navigation? So the way that I, I'm kind of talking about rhythm is on multiple fronts. So like, you can think about rhythm in terms of sound, like very tangible rhythm that you, you know, come through every day. So like your footsteps and how you're, you're when you're walking, it's a certain rhythm. But then when you speed up that rhythm, you're changing it or yeah. that those kinds of very tangible rhythms that you can you can see and you can hear and you can feel. Right. But then the way that I'm kind of talking about rhythm and I try to to bring it in from a positive kind of non-loss perspective. So like, you know, as Indigenous folks to focus on all that we can accomplish in the future versus what's happened in the past. So if we're thinking about colonialism, rhythm is a, a potent tool of how colonialism has worked. And so if we're thinking about acts of oppression and colonial structures, it's based in these giant acts of keeping to a rhythm of oppression. So that's kind of the the underlying structure of how I'm coming to it from like a, a negative perspective. Right. Then the way that I'm trying to flip it is that if we're thinking about that colonialism and the reason why we're kind of coming to these urban spaces in these, you know, tumultuous times. Yes, yes. <laughs> the kind of flip side to that is that when we're thinking about acts of love and acts of care, it's often through rhythm and repetitive rhythm that we fall in love or that we learn to care for someone or something. And so that's really how this kind of rhythm gets flipped. But then it's also quite interesting when we think about when this rhythm is broken. So if you're in love with someone and you've, you're slowly building up this care that you have, what happens when that's broken or, you know, even just thinking about, and I'm just kind of like spurring off all my like, that's good. my brain thinks through it. <laughs> that's the way to do it though, isn't it? And so when we're thinking about like what I talk about a lot in this paper that I submitted is uh, Henry Lefebvre's kind of talking about the, the everyday aspect of rhythm. And so right. when we're going through the world that we navigate, the everyday kind of rhythms that we encounter. And so I find it really interesting when you you assume that you have a rhythm that you're subscribed to, but then when that rhythm is broken, it's kind of jarring, but it's also, it, it challenges you to see a new rhythm. And so if we're thinking of rhythm in the everyday and our lives in the broader prospect, when we break rhythms, it allows to see a larger component of ourselves. Are, are you looking at this from one particular urban setting such as Montreal are you looking at it could be in relation to any urban setting within Canada I mean the way that I work is is very personal 
So I would say that it, it's really based on me living in Montreal. And right. I think that a lot of work needs to happen in Montreal still. So it's it's very much, it's based in kind of the my general experience of being there. But right. then it's also like, now that I... <laughs> I can now say that I've lived in all three major centers. (laughs) So it's kind of to think about that in the larger picture of now that I live in Toronto and how, you know, oppressive Toronto is and just how big it is. It's interesting to think about how how they're so different and how I had a feeling in Montreal and how I have this different feeling in Toronto. So how does abstraction come to play in your work and what is its significance? Yeah, so it's kind of like I was explaining earlier. Abstraction is is very complicated and the way that I'm I'm really thinking about it in relation to learning about my grandmother and all that that kind of lends to is in this specific case, so with my grandmother who has dementia And a huge part of her memory has been blocked. And that's not something that I generally focus on, but the overall kind of idea that there's a huge block of memory that, you know, none of us will ever have. And so just the idea of not knowing those stories and knowing that I will never know those stories is is really sad. And a lot of people I know are in similar kind of situations where, you know, people have died in their families, or they just never knew uh, people in their family. And so I'm just trying to think through all the stories that we'll never know, and that we, we somehow know, regardless of them being told to us, you know, we know a version of the story. But it's kind of through an abstract form that we're creating this version of our story. Right. Yeah, so it... <laughs> no, I, I totally get that because, I mean, to me, family history is really, really important. But you're right, you don't want to lose those stories of where you've come from and and why you are who you are today. And so that's kind of the, the long and short of this, this chapter. And so I'm really trying to, to think through, of, like, the many ways that abstraction can be something to start from. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's, yeah. it's kind of funny to to create an entire body of research that's based on mush. mush. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's not mush. It's great. I love it. I love oh, it. It is great. Like I, It's my favorite chapter of my research by far, but it's it's just interesting to, to have it be so abstract in the right. beginning that right. uh, it can really be anything and it I think it will end up being kind of this weird train of thought that I have going on with it that's but it can kind help of, it can help people raise questions from that abstract way right yeah well and I think like the the thing that I'm really thinking about is that I think that everybody can relate to abstractions in some form and you know how we come to knowing who we are is through these abstractions so right. I think that it it will be something that everybody might enjoy thinking about so yeah I'm just trying to to create make it less abstract right now and what I'm what I'm really reading is kind of acts of love and how love hasn't really been talked about and taken seriously by female academics let alone like you know an indigenous female academic because talking about love is often not really not taken seriously Um, and it should be 
Yeah, and it totally should be because yeah. it, it can be a very theoretical point to come from and I think yeah. it needs to be. So I'm trying to talk about love a lot in this chapter and the the many forms of love. And so the thing that I, I love about this kind of abstraction and tying it to love is that love is often if it's if you're really in like with family or, you know, you name it, then love is messy and love can be yeah. irritating. And so I'm really trying to get into this idea of the messiness of love and how how complicated and complex it, it really is. Right, right. So I want to talk now about your winning article. Now, firstly, Camille, will um, you'll be commissioned to write a feature story for a future issue of Canadian art. Have you got any ideas of what you want to talk about in your your article that you will do because you could go in all sorts of directions, couldn't you, for that? Yeah, I, I really could. Um, I actually have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you've got time. <laughs> I time, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it may be one of your chapters or something. You pull something out from that. Yeah, that's what I'll probably do. But it, it's really exciting to, to know that I can write something else or make this bigger or, mm-hmm. you know, publish something along those lines. But I, th- I think it will relate something to to what I'm talking about in terms of rhythm and abstraction. So what I want to do is, if, if you don't mind, this Canadian Art Prize for everybody is, as I said earlier, is, is an annual juried prize designed to encourage new writers on contemporary art. You, your, your piece was on was called Convergences as Rhythmic Disturbances, Indigenous Connections Through Urban Navigation. And you used the concept of rhythmic spatialization to explore the effects of urban landscapes on Indigenous bodies using personal prose and theory to connect rhythms, the cityscape and art. Now, I actually took that out of the article, the, the description of your winning. <laughs> so I, I can't say those are my great words. <laughs> and what was interesting, too, in the 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 piece announcing your win as you know the jurors did supply comments on your piece mm-hmm. and I found some of them absolutely fascinating and if you don't mind I'm going to read the one from Heather O'Neill the first person who wrote a little bit and she says what makes Camille Georgeson Usher's piece so incredible is that its structure and language mirror the phenomenon she's describing in an accessible and lyrical manner, fusing memoir, poetry and academic text, she brings alive the sounds of her rural childhood and those of the streets of Montreal where she lived for many years. She deconstructs how Indigenous voices and artwork disrupt and enhance the rhythms of the city, converging to form a new musical experience to urban life. She is interested in a navigational art of experience and by interpreting life and love and pain as sound, Georgian Usher allows us to experience a startling and raw and vulnerable rhythm to the landscape around us, causing us to acknowledge the different voices of the diverse choir that compose it. Pretty nice words for you. And about your I, piece, what did you think of that when you were reading what the, uh, the judges said? Uh, well, so this, um, it's actually quite funny when I got news of this writing prize, the writing prize results, I was doing a residency in Demet, Alberta. And so nobody knows where Demet, Alberta is. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You should have cued me and I would have looked it up. (laughs) So it's a Northern kind of rural Alberta and it's this great residency called Commune Opulence. And so it was like totally in the bush, living in a tent for two weeks. Right. Uh, it was lovely. But I, I got this email. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I was like sitting by a fire and just like, oh my gosh. And I, I read the email and saw that Heather O'Neill had made that comment. And I was just like, I don't even know how to respond to this right now. <laughs> Heather O'Neill is obviously just amazing. And so just to, to see that she had written that about something that I wrote was, it was shocking, and I'm. But, I think but, but I'm awesome. Still <laughs> You're still shocked. I, I think I would be too because I keep reading it and I'm going. I mean, just the words that she used really shows how much she felt about the piece. It's really amazing to read. Yeah. I'm like looking at it right now, like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> <laughs> feel real. <laughs> so, so apart from that little uh, announcement from Heather O'Neill, how does it feel to have your work be acknowledged on the international stage and in a renowned journal such as the Canadian Art? It's quite uh, amazing because actually, for my whole life, I've actually had a really hard time with writing essays. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, yeah. well, it's coming to you now. They do say practice. They do say practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and throughout my undergrad, like every essay that I wrote was just like such a pain, and I would hand in an essay and feel okay about it, and then get like a C back, which you know I'm I'm generally a pretty good student, but I was terrible at writing essays, and then I I'm not sure what happened. I think when I just started realizing that I needed to write in my own kind of the way that I would say something and yeah, you know and from the heart is this is you yeah and I I feel like once I was like I don't need to subscribe to the way that everybody writes essays that I can do it the way that I want to then right. I, it just became easier and I I now I really love it <laughs> maybe there's hope for me yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to talk to you about is some of your extracurriculars. And I know you've got a lot of work that you're doing, but you're also the director of programming for the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective. Can yeah. you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that? Because that's fascinating too. And I guess this is where your art, your artistic flair comes in as well. So I, I've always been uh, a big proponent to working during my studies. And I think that a lot of the work that I, I can do with the Aboriginal Curatorial Collective actually plays really well to what I'm doing in my PhD. Yes. The Aboriginal Curatorial Collective is an organization that is really set to support Indigenous artists and curators and people working in the arts. So uh, to... And this, like, the whole kind of mandate is that the the ACC, is what we call ourselves, right. really creates acts of gathering. So in terms of what I'm thinking through as the urban space, as how we can create acts of gathering, the whole mandate of the organization that I work for is to create these moments where we gather. Right, right. So it's, it's kind of uh, really interesting now that I can, you know, I'm in charge of directing their programming. Which is great. <laughs> really think about how how we can create acts of gathering that really do things for the Indigenous arts community in Canada and right. how we can span past creating work here but to having our work internationally recognized and to right. being able to have conversations and that kind of stuff. Because so. I know in terms of art... Before coming to Canada, the art that I recognised was the ones, the art from BC, where you've mm. got the Thunderbird, you know, the ones you see when you first walk into the airport type thing, and then you see it in the various shops going around Vancouver and stuff like that. That was kind of the art that I knew of in Indigenous art, Canadian art. 
but of course it's a lot more than that yes it, yeah and it's actually something that I've <laughs> I really think a lot about because you know the first thing that that I obviously learned you know growing up in Coast Salish territory and being Coast Salish was Coast Salish form line design which is what everybody sees Seized. and you know <laughs> that kind of motif and that's really what you know was put in your face when you're living in BC and I just I found it so interesting that I was living there and that all these symbols from you know my families and cousins and ancestors uh, were just right in my face whereas you know my family has been you know dealing with colonialism and right. the the reverberations of it for decades. So it's kind of so, like, it's kind of like a mask, wasn't it? It's a total. It was for me a total mask. Like I know for some people, and it is changing a lot. Like it is becoming a a point at which people are becoming very empowered. But for me, when I was living there, and I wasn't ready to associate with you know my Coast Salish sides, it was. I it just kind of made me feel like it was fake, and you know walking around the city was fake. So right. But that, that's a tangent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're allowed tangents. <laughs> I think what, you know, the work in an organization like the ACC that I, I'm excited to do is uh, to show that there is a lot of other kind of work that's happening. And, you know, curators are doing really interesting stuff right now across the country that is really challenging how people, you know, assume what indigeneity is. And just creating a larger conversation of how we can make this creative work more public and how we can create these conversations that really build each other up versus, you know, separating us. Okay. Well, Camille, we're going to have to call it quits. It's been great chatting and I know I could keep chatting, but we do have to stop somewhere, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, So thanks for coming on the show and good luck with the rest of your research. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was great. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So that's it, everyone. Another week week of grad chat sadly comes to an end. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.